Hello and welcome to this episode of Start Somewhere, hosted by me, Sarah Vaughan. This week, I am so honoured and delighted to welcome a very special guest, Nicola Mendelssohn, CBE, Chairperson of the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation and VP Global Business Group, Meta. Hi, Nicola, how are you? I am very good and thrilled to be here to talk to you. Oh my God, what a treat. I, I mean, like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're virtually the busiest woman in the world. So thank you for visiting me. That's so kind. Now, as you know, like in this podcast, we always start by asking, how did you start somewhere? So like, you know, kind of where did you grow up? Like what were your early passions? Okay, so uh, I grew up in the north of England. I grew up in Prestwich, uh, which is just on the outskirts of Manchester. And do you know what? I had a fantastic childhood. I'm incredibly lucky. And I had loads of different passions growing up. I, I wanted to be an astronaut at one point. My goodness. Um, I, I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be an event planner. So there were lots of different things um, that inspired me and excited me when I when I was younger. Wow! I mean, but it doesn't surprise me because I mean, you, you're you know, career-wise, you've like covered covered absolutely everything. And 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 you, I, and I noticed, you know, you you you've actually studied theatre. Is that right? When, when, yes. When, when, yeah. yeah, I went to Leeds University and I was really privileged to get on a new course. I was the first year of a new course which joined together uh, English literature and theatre studies. So I did that for three years in, in Leeds. Wow. And, and then, of course, you ended up in advertising, I think, rather than becoming an actress. Yeah, that's exactly right. I had a friend at university who was a year older than me and he got a job in advertising in London. Honestly, I had never heard of such a job. I didn't know that you could do such a thing. And um, I didn't know anyone, I don't, you know, growing up that did, really that worked in the creative industries. But I was lucky. I got a job as a graduate trainee at a, an agency called Bartle Bogle Hegarty, as it was back then. And I was inspired by the incredible advertising that they did. They were, without question, so creative, most creative agency on the planet. They were winning all of the awards. And it's where I learned my craft. Wow, just just amazing! And then you spent some time in 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 the ad world, didn't you? Yeah, well, certainly more than some time, nearly twenty years in <laughs> advertising. I don't know, but, but, but some time. You know? Yeah, so. But, 20 years. And I think the thing that I loved about advertising and still do is it brings together sort of business challenges, but also how you solve business challenges with creativity. And I love the creative industries. You know, you talked about the love, you know, of um, of, of acting, but also of, of books and literature, but <laughs> fashion and film and production, all these design, architecture, games industry. I love the creative industries. And so that was such an intersection with the advertising industry and also with tech as well. And certainly as digital started to you know, develop more and more in the 90s, that was something that I was really lucky and privileged to be at the forefront of. Yeah. And I, and I mean, you, you are an astonishing pioneer because I mean, also, you know, tell us about the four day week. Because <laughs> it's like amazing. I mean, I, I almost fell off my chair, you know, when, when I found you know, the four day week. So tell us how that started. Well, it seems very sort of straightforward now because so many people and especially over the last couple of years with um, the pandemic are working in different ways. But it was it was back in 1998 and I'd, I'd had my first child, my daughter, and she was one. And I just didn't think I was doing a very good job at anything. I didn't feel I was doing a good job as a mom or as a wife 
friend, work. And I just thought, gosh, if only I had one more day in my life, that would help everything. And so I went and asked my bosses at the time at BBH whether I could, um, you know, whether I could actually maybe do everything on, on four days rather than five days. But to actually get to that point, I'd sort of in my head arrived at the point that I probably had to leave because that wasn't going to be possible and maybe find something else, which in hindsight would have been a terrible shame. But actually, they were really open to it. And so I did make some changes in terms of my career and I guess didn't have the opportunities I might have done if I was going for five days a week. But I, as a person, I just was so much more fulfilled because I felt that I was able to do things how I wanted them to do and 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 to a better standard. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just amazing. You were like foresight. And now, you know, there are a whole load of like government studies saying we should probably all work four days a week. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's just quite remarkable. And in, in this, I mean, like, you know, clearly, and, and I think you went on to have four, you've got four kids now. So it's just, I mean, you, you really are like, yeah, I think, you know, you are Wonder Woman, basically. But I mean, like, you know, how, how you know, how did, you know, finding your purpose really, you know, as you were moving through kind of these, these careers, how, how did you really kind of begin to find your purpose and, and within your family life as well? Well, I think there's so many different aspects of that. And I, you know, and I, who knows, you know, when one thinks about what is one's purpose, I've always thought that there was something more to do in the everyday job than just sort of existing from day to day. And so, Helping other people has always been a massive part of my life. Um, you know, I, I'm a proud Jewish woman. I observe, I have faith. And at the heart of Judaism is this concept of tikkun olam, repair the world, help the world, you know, things like that, giving back to charity. And so that's always been a very core cool part of my being right back from, you know, growing up in Manchester, whether it was going to help out in the old age homes, whether, you know, it was volunteering for different projects. That's always been a part of of just who I am and, and the things that I care for. I would put, you know, the work on diversity, equity and inclusion into yeah. that just feels like the right things um, to do. But I suppose when I look back now and think about where I'm spending my time and where, I, um, where I'm going to spend my time, I don't think I could ever have envisaged that growing up uh, in Manchester because it, it links to a, uh, I guess, a health diagnosis that I received. Yes, and 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 tell us a little, you know, a little bit of, uh, about that because I mean, you know, <laughs> follicular lymphoma is not well known in itself. So t- tell us a little bit about about it, and 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 then you know what you've done with the foundation. Yeah, sure. So here I was living this kind of very busy life. Um, you know, <laughs> by by then I moved away from advertising, working for Meta, uh, running Europe, Middle East, and Africa jumping on planes, you know, here, there and everywhere for one hour meetings. That world seems a very far distance ago. There's a lot I think we, you know, can learn from the, the experiences of the last two years. But it was um, it was November 2016 and I was busy. I was well. I thought I was well. Mm-hmm. And then I found this tiny, tiny lump in my groin. It was about it was about the size of a pea. And I've got a good friend, good close friend who's a doctor and I, I, I was chatting to her and I mentioned it to her and she did the, it's probably nothing, but if it hasn't gone in a month, give us a call. Yeah. So it didn't go. Um, 
And honestly, I wasn't worried about it. I've never heard of anything about a lump in your groin. You know, as a, as a woman, you're taught about, you know, lumps in, in your boobs. Yeah, so that's what we all check for, right? Yeah. So I wasn't worried. So I was so not worried that, you know, when she, I went to see her and she examined me and I saw a flash in her eyes and I said to her, you're not happy with that, are you? She yeah. said, no. She said, I'm not. I need you to go and see someone. And she didn't know what it was. Well, she wasn't quite sure who to send me to, but it turned out she sent me to a gynecologist, which turned out not to be the right person, but uh, he was very thorough. And I was leave- I was about to leave and he didn't think there was anything wrong. And he said, you know what, you know, given that you're here, why don't we just get you a CT scan? So I'm like, okay. Again, not thinking, I was by myself, didn't think anything of it. Yeah. So I had the scan and then I went home and forgot about it genuinely. And then wasn't on my phone and then a few hours later I picked up my phone I had umpteen missed messages all over the place and I remember thinking oh my goodness you know from the different doctors that this is not going to be good and lo and behold that began the worst week of my life working out what it was that I had um but it wasn't good yeah and and you tell us a little bit about follicular lymphoma I mean the the first point is I mean to I guess to say is it is an incurable disease right now that's right um so i was diagnosed after a week with follicular lymphoma it's an incurable blood cancer it's a non-hodgkin's lymphoma and it's not very well i didn't know anyone that had it um or had you know had ever had it i'd never heard of it i'd never heard of a cancer um that was incurable that you can also live with and actually you can have a you could have a life expectancy of, of maybe 20 years I'd never heard of this sort of language. So it was a very mm. big shock. I mean, a shock, uh, like such a diagnosis was horrific. Um, mm. But then I started to learn more about it. And then I was told, well, you don't necessarily have to get treated right away because <laughs> actually there's no change in life expectancy. And again, that's not what you're taught with cancer, is it? No. You're taught that you've got to get rid of it. You've got to cut it out. You've got to blast it. You've got to chemo. And these are all the things that are going to happen. And then... I remember being presented with this thing called watch and wait, literally, or or as people that have it call it watch and worry, because you've still got it ticking in your head that you're going to have this. And at some point you'll need treatment. And that's what happened with me. So I was diagnosed. We made the decision, an, an informed decision not to treat immediately. And we waited in the end 18 months. They still actively monitor you, scan you. And I had to have treatment in the end because it was growing rapidly near my kidneys and would have given me kidney damage. So I had chemotherapy and immunotherapy in 2018. Wow. And, and I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the treatment is almost, you know, the, the hardcore treatments, chemotherapy and, 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 you know, really, you know, I mean, it is effectively kind of injecting like poison for cancer cells and poison into your body. It is. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And but here's the thing also, not all chemotherapy is the same. So I went out and, you know, I read all the best advice and bought a wig, but actually I never needed to wear a wig um, because although I lost some of my hair, I didn't lose all of my hair. And I didn't know, you know, that was all new learning for me. So often, you know, you hear from people with cancers and they want to learn from other people with cancers. Actually, that the place you need to learn from is people that have got the same thing as you. And that's part why we set up... Um, uh, and have been growing a Facebook group called Living with Follicular Lymphoma, which now has over eight and a half thousand 
patients in it. It's the largest gathering of people with follicular lymphoma that's ever existed. And they're the best people that can give advice and feedback. And honestly, there's a group for everybody on all sorts of disease and illnesses and really a good source of strength and inspiration. Yeah. And, and, and you, you, you then when, you know, you founded the follicular lymphoma foundation and, and it is the, the only, you know, dedicated foundation, which is, is, is really looking at studying, isn't it? You know, how, how, how this operates and finding new treatments and cures. So tell us a little bit about, uh, about it. So, yeah, you're right. So after being diagnosed for a year, I, I'd been on this real steep learning curve to understand the illness. And when I was first diagnosed, people said, sort of, don't worry, there's so many amazing advancements in science going on. And we've all certainly felt that over the last couple of years with the pandemic. Um, Don't worry, you know, by the time you need treatment, there's going to be really good things, you'll be cured. And and to the point around, you know, I did have the chemotherapy. The problem is, I I am now in what's classed as a sort of remission. So I have no evidence of disease but the illness still exists on a molecular level and so can come back. And again, they don't know when it's going to come back. So I started to think, well, okay, let's find out about the new cures and treatments and advances Mm -hmm. that are going on. And what I found out was there wasn't. And the reason there wasn't is because it is a relatively rare cancer, but also there's not really been any significant funding going into it. So I, I thought, well, if that's what it takes, then then I need to be the one to sort of galvanize people to, you know, start to think about this disease in a different way and maybe try and raise some funds so that we could look for different treatments or, or, or potentially even be brave enough to look for a cure and to try and find a cure for this cancer. Which is amazing. And I, I mean, like, just it's, it's so you, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, just, just amazing. And just, just with this extraordinary kind of courage, you know, taking taking that on, and and you know, you you are actively fundraising at at the moment. So tell us a little bit about kind of the fundraising efforts and 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 you know what what you need because I think you you know you want people to help. So how how can people help? Oh, I would love it if people were inspired to help. And here's the thing: we really can help, and we really mm-hmm. all can make a difference together because the scientists believe that actually because this is a cancer that's been overlooked, that there actually are things already, there's some real low hanging fruit that we could just apply to follicular lymphoma and actually could change the course of somebody's life in the most extraordinary positive way. We recently ran in October, a match giving campaign where, and this, I'm still pinching myself that this is possible, but we raised in 36 hours over two and a half million pounds. Two and a half million pounds. It's I mean, that's unbelievable. That's the people of power, the power of people's um, social media, their platforms and friends helping friends and families helping families. And there were two extraordinary characters, um, Andrew McAlson and Sally Herman, who both built up incredible followings and both had over a thousand people each um, that donated, you know, some as small as two pounds, three pounds, and some obviously considerably bigger, but uh, Andrew himself, when he signed up to help, he thought he was recently diagnosed and he's a runner and he thought he might be able to maybe raise 
a thousand pounds. That's what he put as his, his target. <laughs> yeah. I think he got, I think he, he did in the end raise over a hundred thousand pounds. Oh my goodness. Which is extraordinary. So if anybody's listening today thinking, could I, should I, every single pound makes a difference. And I promise you, I'm not in the interest of building a big charity. I want to get out of the charity business as quickly as possible because I want to have found cures and, and treatments yeah. um, for the, you know, the thousands and thousands of people that are living with follicular lymphoma and have that sort of sword of Damocles over their heads wondering about when it's going to come back and next time will it be worse and will there be a treatment that works? We can find that answer and we all can help make a difference today. Yeah, and, and the wonderful Facebook Book group you've you've established can also help people with their anxiety, you know, and 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 sharing those tips as well. So talk to us a little bit about that kind of community as well. Yeah, it's it's amazing, and I've seen some extraordinary um, behaviors, and I think we all have again through people helping each other. I remember there was one person on the group that shared that they didn't have any friends, they didn't have any family, and they were feeling really scared because they were going for treatment, and they happened to mention the hospital. And another person in the group said that, well, they live very near that hospital and that they would come and sit with them while they went through their treatment. I oh mean, the God. kindness of people from one stranger to another, united just because they have you know, a strange disease that nobody's heard of, um, I just think is just extraordinary. And, and I see examples of those small acts of kindness all the time, all the time. And, and it's just really heartwarming to hear them. Yeah, and, and I think... You know, it, it, you know it, it, it's just extraordinary. I mean, and, and you know, you're still very busy. <laughs> like you've got this new role. I mean, how, how do you manage to juggle it all? And, and, you know, like, you know, tell us a little bit about your kind of like regime for staying healthy within all of this. Yeah. So, you know, it's an interesting one because when I was first diagnosed, so many people, wasn't one or two, it was like loads of people said, are you going to give up work? And I was like, no. Why should I do that? Right. Um, I love my job. I'm super happy with what I do. And, you know, thankfully I haven't, you know, the, the, the disease hasn't encumbered me so much. That's one of the strange things about it is that to look at me, you would say, well, she looks fine. She looks well. And actually I do feel fine um, and do feel well, just not quite in control of everything that has gone on in my body. And hopefully it will be a long time before that happens again. But yes, just uh, a couple of months ago, um, I took up a new job. In, um, in the United States running um, Meta's global business group. Which um, I, <laughs> thank you. You know, I've just turned 50 as well. And so it feels like a whole new adventure that, uh, that I'm going through right now. Oh, it's, I mean, it's just extraordinary. And you are such an inspiration. I mean, really and truly. And, and, and thank you for, for all that you're doing. And, you know, if, if people, you know, would you like to just recap on like, you know, where people can go if they want to find out more about um, the foundation and also the Facebook page. Oh, I, well, I really, um, really appreciate that. The Facebook page is called Living with Follicular Lymphoma. And the foundation is called the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation. So if you Google us, you'll find us at uh, the FLF.org or you'll find us through doing the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation. We also, of course, have Facebook uh, and Instagram pages as well, or you can find it on mine, Nicola Mendelssohn also. Yeah, Nicola, I mean, it's just so moving what you're doing. Thank you so much, you know, for, for, for being such a trailblazer and, and really trying to, you know, find a cure for, for, for this rather kind of unknown and, and as you say, overlooked um, cancer. Bless you for, 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 for that. 
Oh, and thank you for giving me the time today to be able to to share with people some of the some of the challenges. You know, there's there's nearly half a million people in the UK living with you know, a blood cancer, they've got compromised immune systems. It's been really difficult over the last couple of years. Most people, you know, are largely shielding. They're not going out. The vaccines don't work for them in the same way. So anything that I can do just to be able to help or to raise awareness, I am all in to, uh, to help. Thank you so much, Nicola. 